Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. As the dust settles after the primary election, we're diving into the factors behind Tuesday night's biggest wins, as well as the seismic legislative turnover. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, we break down the massive turnover in the Idaho House and Senate, as well as two incumbents who will lose their seats in statewide office. But first, on Thursday, Idaho's U.S. Senator Mike Crapo was one of 11 senators to vote against a $40 billion allocation to send aid to Ukraine as Russia continues its attacks. 81 senators voted in favor of the aid package, including Idaho U.S. Senator Jim Risch. The package passed the House earlier this month with 57 Republicans voting no, including Idaho's U.S. Representative Russ Fulcher. U.S. Representative Mike Simpson voted yes. As you probably know by now, after a contentious, long-fought primary that divided conservatives and drew national attention, Governor Brad Little won his primary race on Tuesday and now moves forward to the general election, seeking a second term after defeating current Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan and six other primary challengers. I'm truly humbled by the Idaho Republican Party and how they've entrusted me to continue to be your governor. Just like nearly every day in the last three and a half years, I felt the honor of serving the great state of Idaho in good times and in tough times. And once again, I'm humbled by the awesome opportunity to serve and work for the great people of Idaho. I, I can't say I blame anyone for wanting to be right here in Idaho. Here in Idaho, we're lowering taxes, getting people to work, securing a strong future for our people. Our conservative approach to governing shows in our unwavering commitment to standing up for Idahoans that care about backing the blue, empowering parents, fighting against federal overreach, protecting pre-born lives, and defending the Second Amendment. We've championed tax cuts for families and businesses, giving back a billion dollars in the past three years. And yes, there's more to come. But two other statewide incumbents lost their primaries. Five-term Attorney General Lawrence Wasden lost to Raul Labrador, and two-term Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Ibarra lost to Debbie Critchfield. Joining me to talk about the factors behind Tuesday night's results, former Secretary of State Ben Yasursa, House Assistant Majority Leader Jason Monks, Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press, and Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News. Uh, I, I wanted to start with you, Ben. Historically, Idaho voters rarely oust incumbents in either primary or general elections. And so two statewide candidates in one primary is really something. What were the factors in Wasden's loss? Well, in, in the Wasden-Labrador race, uh, early on when uh, Rogel Labrador entered the race, he obviously had great name ID. He also had very strong organization within the party, former party chairman. and was raising money at a very good clip, plus he had a lot of out-of-state support coming in. And, and Lawrence, uh, to his credit, and I should disclose, he's a very good friend of mine, and uh, 
he, uh, over the 20 years he was in office, he called the called them straight, balls and strikes, and sometimes over the years you, you pick up some folks who don't like what you, what you did. But he, uh, uh, I think, was a great attorney general, but I think uh, what was different this time, I think he had an opponent uh, who was pretty uh, uh, adept, like uh, Raul Labrador, and was well-funded and had good name ID. Representative Monks, I wanted to get your input on that. It's no secret that many times over the years, Attorney General Wasden butted heads with the legislative branch as well as other executive offices. Um, do you agree with that assessment that he called balls and strikes fairly? I, I think I think he uh, attempted to call them the way he, he liked them. Um, obviously, if I'm sitting in the legislature, do I agree with his decisions on a lot of issues? No, um, but I don't agree with my wife on a lot of issues either. So that's not a that's not a bad thing. Um, I, you know, Lawrence, I, I call him a friend. I consider him a friend. Um, most people don't know that we actually coached um, basketball together many years ago. Uh, we were the coaches, and and so I knew Lawrence long before I was ever interested in politics at the time. Uh, Raul Labrador is a really good friend of mine as well. Uh, been to my kids' weddings. I mean, no, you know, full disclosure there. So, you know, uh, you know, friends running against friends sometimes is is what happens. Um, and uh, Raul's, you know, he's got that name ID that helps. Uh, the longer you're in office, the more enemies you accumulate. Just because you 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 do things that people are going to disagree with, and every time you do that, you accumulate people who are not happy with you. And and the longer I'm in politics, that will continue to grow that list. You know, and at some point, you're going to reach a breaking point when uh, there's enough people that don't like you that you're going to have to move along. From your perspective, Betsy, was it that voters were unhappy with Wasden or that they wanted Labrador? I didn't hear a lot of unhappiness with Wasden from voters in general. Certainly there was plenty of friction between Attorney General Wasden and the legislature, um, and we did hear quite a bit about that. Um, but what I heard a lot more and what I think a lot of voters saw was a whole lot of out-of-state group involvement in that race. National groups, mostly out of Washington, D.C., running independent campaigns against Wasden without mentioning Labrador. But clearly they were in favor of Labrador and that was why they were tearing down Lawrence Wasden on, um, in, in many cases, things that he'd never been criticized before, things that weren't even issues in Idaho. And so we saw out-of-state factors come into play in what's always, I think, mostly been an in-state race in the past here in Idaho. And yet I do think that some of the messaging in this campaign really appealed to voters who wanted to change. I mean, in the debate, Lawrence Wasden talked a couple of times about we're going to pick our legal battles based on the Constitution, not to get on Fox News. And I have to look at the vote tallies and some of the really big majorities that Labrador rang up in some more conservative counties. I think that message, hey, wait a minute, I do want an attorney general who's who's out there fighting for Idaho, and if that gets them on Fox News, you know, more power to them. No, that wasn't the only race in which an incumbent lost on Tuesday. Superintendent Sherry Ibarra also lost to challenger Debbie Critchfield. The Idaho Reports team caught up with Debbie Critchfield on Tuesday night, and here's what she had to say. 
We're going to get right to work on um, how we advocate for resources so we can have more vocational and technical programs in our schools. We want to get right to work on solutions for facilities and maintenance so we can take the burden off of uh, local tax bases. Our, our taxpayers are tired of, of paying and our schools are tired of asking. And so I, I think that's another part. And, and also how we help our rural schools. Frankly, I think there's a lot of work to be done in almost every area around the state. Kevin, not only did Superintendent Ybarra lose, but she came third in a three-way primary mm -hmm. with only 26% of the yeah. vote. What happened? Well, I think that she didn't have a lane in the end. You know, we talked about this last week, and I said that I could make a case for all three of these candidates winning, and guess what? One of them did win. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so I got that one right. Good job. But I think what really happened with Ybarra, when you look at the numbers, Debbie Critchfield did extremely well in southern Idaho, and those were counties and those were communities that, Sherry Ibarra won in, and that's really how she won in 2014, in that Magic Valley, Eastern Idaho to some degree, Ada County to some degree. Debbie Critchfield did very well there. And once she had that sealed up, and as we would have expected, Brandon Durst did really well in North Idaho, did really well in conservative counties. All of a sudden, you've got an eight-year incumbent, Sherry Ibarra, who didn't raise a lot of money on, on, on top of all of the electoral challenges she was facing. I, she didn't have a lane. She didn't have a path. Superintendent Ibarra, like Attorney General Wasden, has had some clashes with the legislature. Yeah. They, she's even uh, filed a lawsuit. And there were, have, she's, her critics in the legislature have been many. Um, she certainly had grown in the role. She had kind of a weak start when she first came in. She was much more self-assured um, by the end. She did very well in the debates. But Debbie Critchfield ran an amazing campaign. She was very, very involved in policy as the president of the State Board of Education. She had such a grasp of the details. And her campaign was not really a personal or an ideological campaign. It was about what she wanted to do as superintendent and what was not being done. And so I think that, that helped push her over the top. And again, as we talked about last week, a level of fundraising that we just have not seen in a state superintendent's primary, at least in the past 20 years. Right. As you were saying, Brandon Durst would have broken that record right. had it not been for the amazing amount of money that Richfield Durst by a factor of five. I mean, it was a, for that race, a staggering amount of money. You know, the, the superintendent's office over the years has had uh, varying types of relationships with the legislature. Uh, I wanted to get your take from the House Republican Caucus on Debbie Critchfield's win. Well, I don't speak for the caucus, but I'll tell you what I think. Um, I think Debbie had a, a, a pretty strong campaign, obviously, and she had a message, and she had uh, a path forward as far as her vision of where, where this should go, um, which was different. Um, you know, Ybarra's wasn't a different message. It was kind of like, this is where we are, this is what we've done. Um, Debbie, had a, Debbie had that whole package there. She, she had a great campaign, she had a great message, and she was involved politically in a lot of different things, and she was out there uh, pounding the pavement. I know that, every, every event I went to, uh, Debbie was there and Debbie was working. And I've, I've said all along, whoever knocks the most doors wins. And, and sometimes it has nothing to do with anything other than somebody worked hard. And I know Debbie worked very hard in that campaign, um, to her credit, and obviously she won. You know, there, the, the other candidate in this race, Brandon Durst, um, has been vocal with his criticism of the Idaho Republican Party for not doing more to stop um, unaffiliated voters as well as Democrats who switched their affiliation before the primary. Um, Ben, this is something that you actually encourage people to consider doing if they were unaffiliated, yeah. to go ahead and affiliate with the Republican Party. 
why not let Republicans pick their own candidates? Well, I'm, you're looking at the guy who was the person who lost the lawsuit on the uh, open primary and the closed primary. Uh, the uh, open primary worked fine for a lot of years in, in Idaho, in my humble opinion. The, clo the closed primary on the Republican side, uh, the unaffiliateds, and you know, there's been talk about how many switched over and whatever, and like we talked about before coming on the show, we don't know yet what, how many unaffiliateds changed to the it wouldn't be changing to the Democrat Party, they'd be changing to the Republican Party of where, where the ball game is. Because one thing that's abundantly clear, what we talked about today and when you see the candidates, like Debbie Critchfield and others saying what they're gonna do and all that, the November 8th election seems to be irrelevant because the, the entire ball game's in the, in the primary election, which is kind of like a general then. So I think you, the more people you get to participate, the better. You know, and, and also, I was looking at some of the vote totals county by county. There were multiple counties in which conservative candidates did very well, like Dorothy Moon and Priscilla Giddings, where Brandon Durst still came in second or third place, where thousands of conservative voters chose not to vote for Brandon Durst at the end of the day. And I think it also speaks to what Rep Representative Monks was talking about, uh, Critchfield's work in this campaign. She carried some counties that uh, definitely went for more conservative candidates. I'm, I'm looking at the list. I mean, she carried Idaho County. She, you know, you know she carried, you know, uh, you know, that's the one really jumps out of, of the list. I mean, it wasn't just that she did well in the Magic Valley in Southern Idaho, where you would expect her to do well. You know, but there were, um, there were closer races in which there were um, only 4,000 votes between Dorothy Moon and Phil McGrain at the end of the day in that Secretary of State race. Um, we caught up with Phil McGrain on Tuesday night. Here's what he had to say. I really hope tonight this will be a reflection just recognizing how important experience is and that some of these roles, it's their technical roles in terms of being able to do the job. And, you know, one, one of the things that we've done well here in Ada County is we've run smooth elections. I think today is a great example of that. We had turnout higher than we expected here in the county. And I think that's a great sign both for the campaign, but also just for elections in general. So again, that was a much closer race than any of the other statewide races. Only 4,000 votes separated McGrain from Dorothy Moon. And McGrain won with a plurality, not a majority. Um, if you combine Sousa and Moon together, there were more voters who went for a more conservative candidate than Phil McGrain. Is there a lesson there? Well, that whole race, and, and for disclosure, I was uh, Phil McGrain's chairman, and uh, he's very qualified, and you know, we can get into that. But what's disturbing to me, I'm an election guy. I'm an election turnout guy, and I'm a, a guy that thinks we have safe, secure elections in the state of Idaho. I, 57%, uh, if, if, you, if you go, Phil won with 43%, I think uh, Moon had 41. Anyway, 57% of the people are uh, deniers of the, of the election, still think Trump won the election. That really bothers me, uh, still does, even nationwide. And, and I think Idaho elections especially are safe and secure, and for the first time, we're gonna have a post-election audit. The legislature passed unanimously the post-election audit bill uh, that Cybersecurity Task Force I was on with Governor Little and others recommended, and that's gonna be implemented by the Secretary of State uh, for the first time uh, coming up. Uh, the the uh, canvassing date is the 24th, so right then you'll hear an announcement of who, what candidates are gonna be, uh, what counties will be audited and whatever. And I think we can 
in my mind, hopefully put to rest, but I don't think it is. Uh, the big lie cannot be the basic tenet of the Republican Party. And I would hope Idaho would not do that, but you know, we're still looking at 57% who believe it. Representative Monks, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. There's there a lot said there, um, as far as <laughs> which, which aspect of that, I mean. So, uh, the, the, so the, the idea that the majority of Idaho primary Republican voters voted for Secretary of State candidates who think, believe incorrectly that Trump won the election, that the election was stolen from Biden. Yeah, I, I don't know if, I don't know if all of Sousa's supporters would have supported Moon. Um, I, I don't, I don't make that analogy there. Um, in fact, we talked a little bit about this in some of my circles and we said, how many, how many votes is Sousa taking away from Phil? Uh, and, I, and I don't know those numbers. I'm sure there were some. I, I just don't know uh, how that would have played out. Um, you know, elections, I, I do think Idaho's got good elections. I'm very happy with the way we've, we've uh, had that. Uh, I've had questions from constituents that have come to me and said, what about this? Um, I've been able to go to the Secretary of State, been able to go to um, Phil, actually, in, in some of those questions and ask specifically, what's going on with these things and had really good responses. Most of the constituents that, that have had those concerns to me have been satisfied with those answers. But, you know, we just had a movie come out, um, 2,000 Mules, that, that very popular right now. Um, a lot of people have seen that, getting a lot of constituents come back to me making sure, have you seen this? Um, have you looked at that? There's things that happen nationally, I think, um, that we assume also happens statewide. And I don't think that's always the case. I think things that happen nationally, uh, there are things that happen there. I think there is a, uh, a lot of bad stuff happens in Washington, D.C. I don't mean bad, I mean just, just p political politics mess, gunk, that is there that I don't think affects us as much. Uh, am I saying that Idaho's perfect? Absolutely not. But I don't equate you know, the swamp in D.C. to the swamp in, in Idaho, which some people have done. I think we, for the most part, we do a pretty good job here. Uh, do we need to improve? Sure. Do our, can our elections be um, audited? Absolutely. We need to do that. We need to continue to do that. But, you know, you got a real popular movie right now coming out, 2,000 Mules, that, that, that is the talk of the town in a lot of the circles that, that I'm looking at. And that's hard <coughs> to deny looking at that movie and saying that there's not a problem. There's popular and then there's accurate. Are you concerned that these misrepresentations of what happened in 2020 are spreading so much? Always concerned about, you know, misinformation. Uh, you can look at this last election and I can pick both sides of, you know, whether or not you are the, you know, the far right or the far left of the Republican Party and show examples of misinformation about particular candidates which was, um, which was frustrating. Uh, you know, I saw advertisements about uh, Mike Moyle being a tax and spend guy. And I'm thinking, you know, you can say whatever you want about Mike, but <laughs> he is not a tax and spend guy in any way, shape or form. Um, and, 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 you know, but, that, but that's the message is out there. And uh, it was, it's frustrating to see those things this misinformation about a lot of people. A lot of my friends had those things happen. So yeah, I'm really concerned about it. I, I don't know what the solution is other than try to get the, the correct information out there. That's about all we can do. Another high profile race, Lieutenant Governor, which House Speaker Scott Bedke won over challenger, Representative Priscilla Giddings. Idaho reports caught up with Speaker Bedke on Tuesday.
My goal is uh, to see the betterment of Idaho. My vision uh, for the office of Lieutenant Governor is to become an, an ambassador for the state, to work uh, hand in glove or uh, certainly cooperatively with the governor. Uh, I, he's number one, I would be number two. I would never embarrass the state. Uh, having said that, there's enough work for everybody to, to do, and I, you know, we we need to promote our state outside of our boundaries. We need to, you know, be looking at always at economic activity, economic development. Uh, we need to be making targeted investments back into our schools, our roads, our water systems, etc. If we're going to keep Idaho the great place that it is, it's going to take, a, you know, positive action in each of those areas. Kevin, if Bedke wins the general election, the Senate that he'll be overseeing as Senate president um, is going to be a lot more conservative. Yes, uh, and, and I think that may have been the biggest storyline that we didn't see coming uh, on election night. It was 20 incumbent legislators, by my count, lost on Tuesday, and some of those were head-to-head -head races. I don't know how that's going to shake out in the House. Uh, it, you know, some hardline conservatives lost in the House, but some moderates in the House lost. Definitely the Senate's going to be more conservative. How much more conservative? We'll wait and see. We still have to kind of see how a couple of these general elections and swing Senate districts play out. But anyway, you slice it, much more conservative Senate, maybe more in line on a lot of issues uh, with the House. We may see some more hot button issues get through the Senate that didn't get hearings in the Senate. Budgets are going to be a lot more interesting. Uh, it's not just going to be a question of whether a higher ed budget can pass the House. It's going to be a question of whether one can get through the Senate as well. Betsy, I'm curious, were there any big surprises for you when it came to those legislative races? Oh, absolutely. And I think right at the top of the list was Senator Agenbrod, the co-chair of JFAC, who lost to a newcomer um, whose campaign basically consisted of, as we talked about before, some disinformation, sending out, you know, some scurrilous claims about the incumbent. and. I didn't think for a minute that that um, an incumbent who's well established, who's high up in the hierarchy, who has accomplishments to point to, um, and who's very well connected in the community, could be taken down by that kind of thing. And he was quite decisively. And so, yes, there were some surprise um, defeats of incumbents, particularly of of Senate committee chairman. There were also some that were less of a surprise. For example, Senator Fred Martin. He has won election narrowly in recent years, including in the general election. And he was taken out by Representative Cody Galloway, who was a representative from the same district. And in, in that case, um, there's still the general to come. That's a district that has gone both ways, Democrat and Republican. One of the few purple districts left in Idaho, and he's one of the few lawmakers who has had very competitive primaries and very competitive general elections. Usually it's one or the other. Uh, were there any surprises for you on Tuesday night? Uh, yeah, absolutely, of course. Um, you know, I think the biggest surprise is probably in the Senate, but I, you know, I wasn't watching those very carefully. That's not my, it's uh, not my cup of the tea. So I, so I look at the House and what were the surprises there? Yeah, I think um, Addis up north was a surprise. Didn't see that one coming. Um, and you know, Paul Amador, both of those uh, lost the races there. Um, again, good friends. Mm -hmm. uh, I think everybody in the house, I'll, I'll probably say that about everybody in the house. They're all friends that, that there for me. Uh, so I didn't see that one coming at all. I was surprised some of the races weren't closer. 
I thought, I thought some of them were, were gonna be a little bit closer because of a lot of the campaigning and advertisement that was going along with that. But I think a lot of the times, again, it just comes down to who knocked more doors and who connected with the people more on that. And that's what ultimately will, will uh, win a candidate for you. And of course, the makeup of the legislature is going to affect which laws make it to the governor's desk for signing or veto. Idaho Reports caught up with Governor Little and asked him about his relationship with the legislature moving forward. Oh, it always is, but I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of the beauty of our system. We do through reapportionment year, we generally have a 35 to 45 percent turnover. It looks like we're going to have that. Problem is, I'm not going to know who leadership is or committee chairman until December. But that doesn't mean we won't work with the legislators, the ones that we know are going to be there, and other ones going forward. So we're all ready to go in January when the session starts. And of course, a lot of those leadership races are going to depend on those close general elections, the few that, that do uh, end up happening in November. Um, Representative Monks, I wanted to ask you about leadership races. Uh, what can we expect? I think you'll have robust races in the House and the Senate. Um, it always happens. I mean, we always have good, good leadership races. This one will be more difficult for anybody who is running just because you've got such an unknown pool of individuals there. You have to figure out, uh, connect with them. Uh, just trying to get phone numbers sometimes is the hardest part, but, but no, it'll be, it'll be real, real robust. Anybody who's running better be traveling around the state, connecting with people and, and seeing if that's where you can find a place in leadership or not. Just out of curiosity, are you doing much traveling around the state these days? I will be. You will be. <laughs> yes, I will be. What are you going to be running for? You know, I am gonna, I, I'm gonna give you a little caveat first and then I'll tell you what I'm gonna run for just so I, I do that. Um, I'm gonna talk with my caucus members. I'm gonna find out if, if there is a place for me in leadership. Um, I'm intending to run for speaker, uh, but again, it's gonna be up to them. They're, they get to decide this whole thing, how it works. And that's you know, one of the tenets that I'm gonna be pushing out there is that you, know, you, just, you just represent the caucus. You don't, you don't control which way they go. You just represent them, and that's uh, that's that's we're going to have to figure out which direction the caucus wants to go, and that's that's the first thing we got to figure out, and then um, it'll be interesting. But the Senate's going to have big races there as well. I think in many aspects more competitive, or at least more challenging there than it is in the House. Do you think that Majority Leader Winder in the Senate is in trouble? I think he's going to have a very difficult race. What are you going to be keeping those, those an eye on? Senate leadership elections are so hard to handicap right now until we get past the general election. But right now they're on a knife edge between whether you want to call it moderate Republicans or hardline Republicans or establishment Republicans versus maybe change agent Republicans. Any way you slice it, that's going to be a, a batch of close races that leads to a batch of assignments. Seven of the 10 Senate chair positions are open right now. You've got four positions that are open on JFAC. For, for Senate Republicans, if you have basically the same makeup of, of JFAC, you have four openings in, in Senate education. What few incumbent senators are still there are probably looking at this like they just walked into Golden Corral. It's like, you know, what do I want to eat? What, what, what entree appeals to me today? It's wide open. Well, one thing, though, that is not wide open necessarily, although we'll see how it comes out, is that the entire existing Senate leadership team 
didn't, uh, they all survived the primary. They're all still there. When I spoke to Chen Senator Winder, he said, you know, our, our leadership team came through. Now, they will have new people voting <laughs> as to who they want to elect as leaders, so that will be the question as to whether they go forward into the next session. But I think it's more wide open in the House where there's an open speaker's seat and certainly multiple candidates who very much would like to take that seat, including, as we heard here, Absolutely. Um, yeah, when the top when the top moves off, everybody wants to kind of move up. Um, you know what's interesting is is just the lack of uh, people who have a lot of experience there. I mean, you look at. We're gonna have to leave it right there. We're out of time. Thank you so much for watching, and we will see you next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.